at each of the preceding Advent Sundays, it's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. Those are called Advent Sundays. The word means coming. And so we talked about the different things that the coming of Christ provided. And the, the first one three weeks ago, we got a slide for this. Joy. And then there was peace. This third, two weeks ago, excuse me, love, <clears throat> and then hope. Last week, three different teachers within the fellowship here, and they did a, 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 just a fantastic job. All those teachings are recorded online. They're archived there, edited, and um, so you can go get those at our homepage. Just scroll down, and you'll see those. Um, but today, now we're looking at a fourth Advent, what God provided in his coming, a Christmas blessing of peace. Okay, let's begin by trying to define this biblical word. The first time it appears in Holy Writ, and, and that's, I always like to know how things began. How did it all begin? In the beginning was God. <laughs> in the beginning, God created the heavens. I'm, I'm fascinated with the origin of things. And so with the word peace, the biblical understanding of the word peace, where does that even begin in the Bible? Where's the first utterance of it? And we find it back in Genesis. Abraham, referred to as the father of our faith, because he believed God and the promises of God. And God said, that's good enough to render you right with me, righteous before God and put you into a reconciled relationship with God. But the promise was slow in coming. You remember the promise was a child through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. And years go by and years go by. Now he's, he's older than I am. He's almost triple digits. And there's still no fulfillment of this promise. Hope against hope, it says he believed God for it, but he didn't have some downtimes, and he's bemoaning the fact that he's been waiting and waiting, and he and Sarah, his wife, still are without child. So God does this. It's nighttime. He takes Abraham out of his tent and says, look up. Look at the stars, the innumerable stars. And he says, so shall your descendants be. <laughs> That's crazy. He doesn't even have one through his wife, Sarah. And God said, you can't even count all the children that are going to come through you and Sarah. They will, he told them, it's full disclosure, they're going to go through some hard times. They're going to go through the crucible of Egypt Four decades, four centuries, excuse me. But then they will come out. I will watch over them. They will flourish. They will thrive, even under captivity. And I will create a great nation. And they will come out of Egypt with many possessions. And then God says to Abraham in Genesis 15, 15, as for you, you know, that's, that's your 
Posterity, yeah. But as for you, Abraham, you're going to go to your fathers in peace. That's the first time we see that word in the Bible. It's in Hebrew in the Old Testament. It's shalom. Shalom comes from a word that means safe. Or as Anthony Showalter put it in his hymn, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, those who trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and reconciliation with God, they are safe and secure from all alarm. Isn't that great? Leaning, leaning on his everlasting arms. Safe and secure. That's where we want to be in this tumultuous time in which we live. Safe and secure from all alarm. It carries with us this word shalom, the implication of being whole and happy. And indeed, we're told in Genesis 25, verse 8, that Abraham died full of years and satisfied with life. We're not even at the end of our life. How many of us can say we're satisfied with life? Abraham was able to say that because he trusted in God, and God gave him his shalom. Fast forward 17 centuries to the birth of Christ, and here we see that word again only in Greek, because that is the language of the New Testament. So turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 8, and I'm not going to actually read it. I want you to listen to my bro, my homie Linus, He's going to read our text today just as he did for Charlie Brown on a major television network in 1965 when Charlie Brown exclaimed, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is about? Check this out. They're laughing at his tree. I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Just Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. 
That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That was 1965. Can you imagine a major network showing that today? A fuller rendering of that last verse would be this. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The word peace here in the Greek is irene, which comes from a primary verb meaning to join or set at one again. To join or set at one again, it speaks of quietness and rest. You've heard the glib response uh, of, uh, to the question, what do you want for Christmas? And the one queried says, world peace. You've, you've heard that. That's all I want. But that's not what the angel is promising at this annunciation. I'm told in the annals of human history, there have only been one year of peace for every 13 years of war. And that's just referencing nation rising against nation. What about the jets rumbling with the sharks on our city streets? Every moment of every day, Cain is slaying his brother Abel somewhere on this planet. There will be no world peace, no corporate rest until the Prince of Peace comes. We're talking about his second coming. His first coming is Christmas. But he's coming again to set up his millennial reign on a renewed earth after Armageddon. Perhaps heard of that word. It's the war literally to end all wars. World War I obviously wasn't that. And they, they had to add another you know, numeral to that. And then it's just spiraled out of hand here. Armageddon will be the war to end all wars. But that takes place only after the bride of Christ has been extracted. It says that those who are alive and remain at the sound of the voice of Christ, they're going to be caught up to meet him in the clouds. And those shall we, we will be with him always. You can read about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. This is a tremendous moment in all of history, but especially for the bride of Christ, the believer, who is alive and remains. Those that go before us, that lay the mortal coil down, their souls go to be with him immediately. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he has a new body, not a tent. It gets sick and falls apart. Like tents do, they fall apart. They're not meant for long-term residence. It's a building, a gift from God, eternal in the heavens. 
a glorified body like the body that Christ rose from the grave with, a walking through walls kind of body, a body that can enjoy food. He ate with his disciples after his resurrection, and our first meal with him is going to be a wedding feast, the Bible says. That's what we have to look forward to. Why should we be afraid of one moment on this temporal abode? The dividend for the believer is very great as we look to the future. And it shouts shalom to us. So what kind of peace Did the first coming of Christ accomplish? And that's what the angel said. He said in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's not a corporate peace that he's talking about. It's a personal peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. So I guess the most important question the universal question should be, how do we please God? His shalom is for those who please him. How do we please God? Well, there are many people quick to suppose and go by their own human intellect. And they say, we please him through our efforts to earn God's favor, to earn his favor. That defines every man-made religion. This is how we please God. Make sure you're in church on Sunday. Make sure you're giving your full tithe. And make sure that you pray regularly. And, and uh, you know, you go and, and participate in every activity and, uh, you know, sacrament. Make sure you do all of those things. And then maybe God will accept you. That's, that's basically what defines all man-made religions. Also called work-based religions. But Isaiah 64, 6 says this. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You got a slide for me? Pass that one, I'm afraid. Pass that one. There we go. All our righteous acts, all the, the things, the heavy lifting that we do to, to earn God's favor are like filthy rags if by them we think we are making him our debtor. This is the gospel. What did Jesus say to those wanting to know how to earn God's favor. It's so powerful. In John 6, 29, he said, this is the work of God. You want to do the heavy lifting here? Okay, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. <laughs> and all those that take pride in their piety and their religiosity, it's just like, you know... They're deflated because there's nothing that they can call their own. 
In fact, he says, all those acts that you do to try to placate God because in your mind somehow you have to make him care about you. Say it's an offense to God. It's odious to the Lord. We who are meant to be a f- sweet fragrance to God through our faith and our love become odious to God when we think we can kind of make him our debtor. Trusting the Savior pleases God. And let me add, without such faith, it is impossible to please God. That's a bold statement, Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, all those things that we do are odious to God because our motive is impure. We're doing them to be seen by others or, or as I said, to make God our debtor. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Putting the full weight of our confidence for peace in this life and the life to come in Jesus, putting the full weight of our confidence in him and what he has accomplished, it's the only path available to us because only by his blood have we been set at one again with God. Remember, that's the definition of irene. To be set at one again, to be forgiven and reconciled with God. The wages of sin is death. Somebody's going to die. God has provided a substitute. The one who bore in his body our sins upon the cross so we wouldn't have to. I love the way Isaiah put it, 700 years before Christ. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He'll he'll do the heavy lifting. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Of the increase of his peace, there shall be no end. That that idea fascinates me. The peace or shalom, that safety, welfare, sense of well-being, happiness of his government is a dynamic thing. Not a static thing, it's a dynamic thing. Ever increasing, he says. And I think it's meaningful to point out that at the time of deepest static darkness, what's the time of deepest static darkness? Uh, It's the winter solstice time. It's Christmas time. It's the time when the angle of the earth The axis, excuse me, is tilted so that the northern hemisphere where 90% of the youth population lives is furthest from the sun. Solstice means soul, sun, stis, static. It stays still because it's constantly tilting, tilting, tilting until it hits 
the solstice point where it stops for a moment before it starts going the other way. It's the solstice. It's the time of deepest static darkness, of unrelenting fear and restlessness that we celebrate the gift of a son whose dynamic peace will increase perpetually. No solstice with the Son of God. There's not a moment of, of just standing still. As with David, that failing human being who loved God and saying of the mercies of God, our cup, our capacity to know and to feel, our cup is destined to overflow with all joy and peace as we celebrate the Prince of Peace, like we're doing now, as we're doing today. Are you with me? Do you want your cup to overflow? That's what the shepherd said. The psalmist of Israel, my cup overflows. It's a cup of blessing. Amen. Let's pray. Praise the Lord. Lord, we acknowledge you as the all-wise God. You who created us purposefully. You had a plan from the beginning. It says from before the foundations of the world. You chose us to be in Christ. That is safe and secure from all alarm. Through our simple childlike faith. Thank you. And if there's anyone in this room or online watching right now that maybe doesn't feel the shalom of God, you don't feel safe and secure from all alarm. I want to pray with you that you would, you would open up your eyes to the light of the knowledge of the glory of God as seen in the face of Christ. I also want to pray for anyone else that, uh, in the body of Christ that just is maybe feeling afraid, just restless right now. The shalom of God is evading you. I want to pray for you as well. So whether it's the first time or it's another time, just agree with me in prayer right now. Oh God, you Lover of man, you giver of good gifts, you giver of shalom. You who have promised to be our exceeding great reward and our shield, our defense system, so that we don't ever have to be afraid. We don't have to live in just one continuing restless cycle, we can just be still and know that you are God. And we do that now. We activate our faith right now.
And we say, thank you, God, for sending Christ to die for us. Atonement for all our sin. To both forgive and reconcile us with our Father in heaven. By faith, we receive that now. And for my brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we just turn around, Lord, from wallowing unbelief in unbelief. And we just trust you anew today. Pour out your blessing upon us, your richest blessing. Fill us with all joy and all peace in believing that we may abound in hope by the power of your spirit. Do that work in us now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.